0: Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning, Ephesians, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we'll be today and uh, the, last, the last few weeks that I, I was gone last Sunday um, preaching in Indianapolis and then uh, got some family vacation, went to the mountains of Colorado and got to uh, see some animals. We saw bears and bighorn sheep and moose and elk and uh, deer and all kinds of stuff And as fun as that was, I was excited to get home and be back at our own church, Eastside Baptist Church. Um, uh, The elk are are less responsive than you are. I tried to preach to them. Nobody said amen. So I'm going to come back where I'm appreciated here. So Ephesians chapter 4, thank you for allowing us to be gone and giving us that opportunity and uh, for carrying on. Heard the services went well. Uh, Brother Frank Wood preached last Sunday. Um, And then I I always appreciate the men that fill in while we're gone. I do a great job of bringing the word. I'm grateful for it. Thank you for being in your place as well. Um, Ephesians four, though, um, is kind of an add-on. A couple of weeks ago, I preached out of Ephesians chapter three, and the idea there was something of of significant value deserves significant commitment. And that, and Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter three how um, how the church, the way that that we come together in the church, actually. Um, ...is gives evidence of God's wisdom to the principalities and powers in the universe. Basically, how we function as a church reveals God's wisdom to the universe. That's a pretty incredible thought. That means that, that church is a big deal. The local church matters a lot to God. It matters enough to Jesus Christ that he died for it. And this morning I want to preach to you on the mark of the local church that ought to be our priority... There's a lot of things that we could focus on. There are a lot of things that we could make our priority, but there's one that Paul mentions here in Ephesians chapter 4 that I think we ought to look at as we carry on, move forward as a church, as a local church together. So we'll stand as we read. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 is where we will begin reading. We'll read the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 4. And I'll give you some background in Ephesians 3 to remind you about what we were talking about last time. It says in verse 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, it's interesting, in Paul's mind, he's just gotten done talking about these high and lofty doctrines about the church. Ephesians 3 is high, lofty, incredible doctrines about the church. And then he says, therefore, I'm going to teach you what is the defining mark of a church. And it's interesting that he doesn't say it's about the size of your building. He does not say it is about all the programs that you offer. He does not say it's about your outward appearance. He does not say it's about your music, although those things all matter. Those are important things. No, he says the defining mark of a church is a spirit of unity. I mean, I thought you would do cartwheels or something when I said that. Now, isn't that incredible that all these high lofty doctrines... These great teachings, and he comes along and says, you know what you ought to be if this is who you are? You ought to strive for a spirit of unity. Here's what Jesus said. He said it this way in John 13. He said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Listen, our defining mark is unity, ...in Jesus Christ. And if we as a church want to bring glory to God... ...and enjoy what we're supposed to be as a church... ...then our mindset must always be this... ...our priority is unity. Our priority is unity. And there may not be a more necessary message for a local church... ...full of completely different people... ...with completely opposite personalities... ...from very, very different backgrounds... To hear than a message today on focusing on unity this is very important and I hope that you'll pay attention as we get into this let's pray and ask God to help us Lord I love you and I need you. you know how desperately I need you today just with all the things that you know about in my own heart and and just just asking that you would help me to convey this in a way that pleases you pray that you bless the reading of your word in Jesus name amen thank you you may be seated I think one thing we can all agree on is we live in a world of strife. You know, there's strife in the streets, there's strife in the schools, there's strife in government buildings, there's strife in homes, and too often even strife in churches. You know, peace is certainly not our default setting. And no matter the setting, the sin nature of man makes strife the inescapable reality. I read about two old Quaker men. They were talking one day and one said to the other... You know, sometimes I think that everyone in the world is a bit off except for me and thee. And sometimes I wonder about thee. You know, that's really true, isn't it? We, we often think that our mentality is the right mentality. That our opinion is the right opinion. And if we have a certain opinion... Um, and, and someone has a different opinion than us, then, then they must be wrong. And the truth is, no matter the situation, the only guarantee in life is that people are not going to see eye to eye. You know, and that's what makes a successful marriage so miraculous. You know, I'm, this past week, my, well, part of the reason, really the reason that we went uh, to Colorado is my folks, my parents celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary which I say amen to that. I'm thankful for that. And this is what they wanted to do. They wanted to take a trip and meet everybody in Colorado, and and uh, and so we enjoyed our time with them. Um, but but the longer that I'm married, and the more I was even reflecting on my own parents and their marriage, to think that two people in close contact, living under the same roof from different backgrounds, contrasting personalities, and to top it all off, one's a man and one's a woman, that those two could get along—that's a miracle. I mean, think about it. That has to be a divine work of God, that that can last. And sometimes, you know, we joke about that or we think, you know, that's silly. But it is a miracle that God would allow two people uh, in that situation from different backgrounds and different perspectives and different ideas, different opinions, to come together and live in unity for 50 years, 60 years. And we have some in here that have been married for a long time. I'm thankful for that ...but I think that's going to be more and more rare... ...in a culture that's okay with strife. Because that's kind of the world that we live in, isn't it? Now, and so now let's take a step. If, if peace is difficult in marriage with two people... ...can you imagine then putting two or three hundred people... ...under the same roof... ...and calling them a church family? Asking them to live in harmony asking them to live with peace, asking them to live in unity. And I'm not a statistician, but I would say the odds for conflict are high in that situation. So it's not really a surprise then that unity gets a lot of run in the New Testament. It's not a surprise that the Apostle Paul talks about it, that Jesus talks about it, that unity is over and over mentioned and brought up in the New Testament. I mean, think about even Paul's writings. Look over in Ephesians 1. Right here, Ephesians chapter 1. He lays the groundwork for unity in this epistle. This is what he's writing about. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. It says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times... ...he might gather together in one all things in Christ... ...both which are in heaven and which are on earth... ...even in him. God is seeking to reconcile all men... ...all people to himself through Jesus Christ... That is his goal. That is his his idea, is reconciliation. He wants people to come together in Jesus Christ. That's the way he created us with unity. Sin separated us and he wants us to bring us back together in that way. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul explains how Christ makes salvation possible to the Jews and the Gentiles alike. We talked about this last time. He brings opposites together. He brings a person from that perspective and that perspective. And he brings them together in a bond in himself that only he could produce. And then in chapter 3, which we were in last time, Paul talks about how it's a mystery that people so far apart can be brought together. It's a divine miracle that God can make Gentiles and fellow heirs with God That he can make them fellow members of the body, that he can make them partakers of the promises of Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6 that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And the whole thing is can you believe this? This is a miracle, it's amazing. That God would have the providence and make, the, make it in us enabled to come together and have bonds with people that are complete opposites of us. I mean, the Jews and the Gentiles, wouldn't, the Jews wouldn't even sit in the same room as a Gentile. I mean, if they touched a Gentile, they'd wash their bodies. They, the Gentiles had no part in, in, to be fellow heirs with God. They had no, no ability to be part of the group They had no option to be partakers of the promises of Jesus Christ. This is is unbelievable, folks. Now, we're used to it. That's why we can sit here and say, okay, great. Gentiles and Jews, it's how it is. We don't realize what it was like back then. Listen, this is high and lofty doctrine. This is something beyond just the normal. This is something that only God could have done. And as we come then to the end of chapter 3, look at the last verse, verse 21. All of these things make this possible, he says in verse 21. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, amen. Verse 1, I therefore. So I hope that you'll understand this. The first three chapters of Ephesians are about the high and lofty doctrine... ...that God can bring all people together in Jesus Christ. That he can save a Jew... ...and he can save a Gentile... ...and he can bring us all together... ...in a local church body like this one. That he could save somebody... ...who grew up in a home whose parents were not together... ...they were split up, it was a broken home... ...whose parents were were not godly people... ...did not follow Christ... ...and yet he could save you as he has some of you... ...as adults and brought you into a church like this... ...and you can sit in the same pew next to somebody... ...who was raised in church from the first Sunday they were born... ...and every Sunday after that... ...whose parents are still together... ...and they have a godly outlook and a godly mindset... ...and you can sit together... ...and have fellowship and be friends... ...and serve together... ...and it's no big deal. Only Jesus can do that. Yeah. Amen. Only God can make that possible. And that's what Paul spends the first three chapters... ...of Ephesians 3 talking about... ...but then he says... ...in chapter 4 verse 1... "I therefore." And what he's doing is he's saying, okay, here's the lofty doctrine. Here are the high ideas. Here's the incredible truth. And then he says, therefore, here's what it looks like. Here's what this is supposed to look like. And he spends the last three chapters of Ephesians talking about how that doctrine, and by the way, sound doctrine should always translate to godly living. Amen. Our right doctrine should always produce in us right actions and he doesn't say again he says I therefore here's what the lofty doctrines should translate to he doesn't say here's what it's all about it's about great music he doesn't say it's about um, huge numbers he doesn't say it's about impressive children's ministries he doesn't say it's about impressive outreach impressive programs those things are very important all of those are But he says this, here's what it is, here's what it looks like, unity. See, here's how you bring God glory as a church, you make unity your priority. And it's not about the big flashy things, it's about how we treat each other. I know that's not exciting. I know that doesn't, like, turn your crank. I'm not sure what turns your crank this morning, honestly. I need you, okay? Okay. Unity is not about the big flashy stuff. It's about how you treat the person in the pew next to you. It's about how you decide how you choose to deal with people around you. And we must make unity our priority. Here's how. Number one, you've got to realize how much this matters. You've got to realize how much this matters. Look what the first the first reason that we need to make unity a priority is because it matters a lot. It matters so much Folks, that Jesus Christ died for us to be unified. Remember, I mean, when God created everything, there was unity. Sin divided everything, including man from God. But since the foundation of the world, since the beginning, God's plan has always been to bring us back together through the cross. Jesus died on the cross so that all people, everyone could be unified once again with God. And not just Jewish people, all people. I mean, Gentiles and Jews and Africans and Americans and Chinese and Mexican. You, listen, you name it. God sent Jesus to die for everybody. He came to die for unity. He wants to bring all people back to himself. And, and you say, well, I'm not really sure why this is such a big deal. Well, just let's just read what Paul wrote, okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Let's look at it. It says, Wherefore remember, verse 11, that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the circumcision, sorry, who are called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time, look at this, ye were without Christ, being aliens, strangers from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. It's a pretty big deal. Verse 14. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. For to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them which were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father." Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners. He's talking to us, by the way, we're Gentiles. Ye are no more strangers and foreigners... ...but fellow citizens with the saints... ...and of the household of God... ...and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets... ...Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone... ...in whom all the building fitly framed together... ...groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord... ...in whom ye also are builded together... ...for inhabitation of God through the Spirit... Are you understanding what he's talking about here? Listen, he died so that we could be brought close. He died so that we could be made one with God again. Unity matters so much to God that Jesus died for it. If you read the last prayer before Christ went to the cross in John 17... Jesus said this, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Talking about us, anybody who will ever be saved. Look what, listen to what Jesus said in that prayer. That they may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them. That they may be one, even as we are one." You know what Jesus was thinking about before he went to the cross? Unity. Jesus was praying that his people would be a picture on earth of the unity of his father and himself. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be picturing. He said, as you and I are one father, we want the world to, to see that unity in us. We are a picture of God the father and God the son. And not only that, we are a picture of the gospel. See, that's, that's why the more that you understand this, the more that you realize that a church isn't a New Testament church without unity. We are a picture of God in in this son and we are a picture of the gospel that God through Jesus brings all people together. Listen, Jesus died for unity. Unity is a picture of of the unity between God and Jesus and a picture of the gospel and the unity that it brings through Jesus Christ. Listen, we cannot be a church that God wants us to be if we're marked by division. Your choices and your interactions, your words and your attitudes affect our ability to display the work of the gospel. This is a big deal. And if we want to keep a spirit of unity, it starts with us realizing how much it matters. It matters a lot to God, so much so that he sent Jesus to die for it. Also, it matters because Paul was really willing to risk his life for it. Look what he says in verse 1. I therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore the prisoner... Of the Lord, so uh, there are certain epistles in the New Testament called the prison Epistles of, the, of which this would be one, and they're called the prison epistles because Paul wrote these epistles from prison. He was a, a prisoner uh, in in Rome and he had been the reason he had been arrested was because he'd been falsely accused of taking a Gentile into the temple and we're not going to look at it but acts chapter twenty one ...talks about how Paul um, in Jerusalem uh, was hanging out with somebody... ...and this is ironic, hanging out with a Gentile, a Greek person from Ephesus... ...and because he had been associated with this person from Ephesus... ...the Jews came and accused him of taking this Gentile into the temple... ...which he actually hadn't done... So they falsely accused him and arrested him and put him in prison. But what's interesting is the person that Paul had been associating with was was an Ephesian, the Bible says. He was a Greek person. He was a Gentile. What's the name of the book that we're reading from? Remember? Look at it. It's Ephesians. So here's what's interesting about this. Paul was in prison because he was willing to associate with a Gentile. He was in prison because he was willing not just to talk about the unity in Christ, he was living it out. He was in prison because he was friends with people that used to have no part in the gospel. He was friends with people that nobody would have ever given the time of day to. Yet here's the apostle Paul, hand in hand, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder with somebody from the book, probably that from this very church that he's writing the letter to, he's in prison because he was willing to be friends with somebody who other people had wanted nothing to do with. Amen. Here we, are, we have an example of somebody who is living out the unity that he's preaching about. He's not just talking about it, he is living it. He was willing to be in prison. Listen, he was willing to be in prison in order to reveal God's, uh, the unity that Christ can bring. Unity among believers in a local church matters in eternity. We already saw that. Last time we saw how unity in Christ reveals God's wisdom to the universe. Listen, that's how much this matters. Paul was willing to go to prison because of the unity he believed in in Jesus Christ. Here's the issue. How sad that sometimes we aren't willing to let a small thing go in the normal course of church life. Pride so often keeps us from being unified. But we need the spirit of Paul that says, it matters so much to me, I'll give up my freedom for unity. I'll lay aside my rights. So that we can be unified. See, Church member, listen. In the grand scheme of things, we ought to be willing to set aside our pride and our opinions and our feelings and our rights for the sake of unity. Now, I'm not saying, by the way, that unity comes before purity. We should never look past sin for the sake of togetherness. Sin destroys unity. Paul dealt with that in 1 Corinthians. And and I'm I'm not trying to to make waves. I want to preach the Bible and do it the right way. But there are denominations and there are movements out there that are accepting even into their clergy lifestyles that the Bible is explicitly against. And those that are accepting those into the homosexual lifestyle into the clergy or allowing that or saying that Jesus... Would be okay with that. They, they clearly have not read the Bible. Their interpretation of the Bible is not correct. And listen I'm trying to do this with love today. Um, but there are some things. If the Bible's against it. Then we're against it. If the Bible's for it. Then we're for it. And I'm not trying to create waves. Or, or make an issue of this today. Um, but, but Eastside Baptist Church as long as. ...as I'm the pastor and I think as long as we're the people of Eastside... ...we're not going to overlook sin for the sake of unity. Amen. Sin has to be dealt with. And if you try to build on a faulty foundation... It, your, ...your institution won't last no matter what. Sin ought also... Uh, ...unity also ought not be more important than purity of doctrine. See, it's not just a lifestyle of sin. It's also that we are trying, trying to follow God's word... ...and have pure doctrine... No matter what. In other words, we don't link arms with those that don't believe in right doctrine. We're trying to maintain purity. So I'm, saying, I'm not saying that unity comes at all costs. I'm not saying that it's unity even over purity. No, we're talking about purity in lifestyle and, and from sin. And we're talking about also purity in doctrine. As those aren't the issues I'm dealing with today. I'm dealing with those issues that actually trip up church folks. I'm talking about the small things that in the grand scheme don't really matter that much to God. Yet we make mountains out of them. I'm not talking about the important things. I'm talking about the unimportant things. And how we can often turn our rights into the biggest thing. You know, my free I have the freedom to say what I want to say right now. And so I'm going to do that right now. But here's Paul saying, No, I'd be willing to go to prison because I want to be unified with this person next to me, because God allows him to be saved just like he allows me to be saved. Yes, he's a Gentile, but but we know that Christ died for Gentiles too. So I will associate with those, even at the risk of putting myself in prison. I'll lay aside my rights, I'll put aside my freedoms because that's that's how much I believe in unity and folks if we want to be a church that is unified and glorifies God we're going to have to be willing to put aside our rights Amen. we're going to have to be willing to set aside our freedoms for something bigger in matters of personal preference in matters of difference of opinion or hurt feelings unity is bigger than my rights Unity is bigger than my opinions, than my freedom. That's what Paul, the prisoner, is saying. It matters. So, unity matters because Christ died for it, and unity matters because Paul was willing to risk his life for it. But, third, unity matters because we're called to it. We are called to be unified. He says this I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. This is an interesting, interesting terminology. He says, walk worthy of the vocation uh, that you are called to, essentially. A vacation, vocation is sorry, vacation's on my mind. Vocation is a calling. A child of God, listen, a child of God is called to live a life that reflects what God has done for us. When you think about all that Paul has just explained, I want you to catch this thought process, okay? Don't check out. When you think about all that Paul has just explained. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, you you can't come away thinking, well, this is no big deal. That Jesus Christ died and and allows now Gentiles and Jews to come together and be unified in Jesus Christ, that's a big deal. Listen, the gospel brought salvation to us. And if you've come in here this morning and you don't know that you're saved, I want you to listen right now. We were created to have fellowship with God. You were made to have a relationship with God. Our sin, though, separates us from God. It hinders that fellowship. So from before the foundation of the world, God sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God again. And we must simply then acknowledge our guilt of sin before God and place our faith in Jesus Christ alone. He alone, he can save you. His blood is enough, his payment was enough, he can wash away your sins. That's all that's required. The work is finished. You don't have to to meet him halfway, he's done all the work. All you have to do is acknowledge your sin and know that your sin has condemned you to eternity, separated from God, and you repent of that sin, turn to Christ in salvation and he will save you this morning. Listen, you can have unity with everybody else that's in Jesus Christ if you'll just place your faith in him this morning. It's available to you. We've been reading about Jews, Gentiles. It doesn't matter what color. It doesn't matter how tall. It doesn't matter the language that you speak. Jesus Christ died for the whole world, including you. And if you'll just receive him, you can spend eternity in heaven where we will experience really good unity for eternity. But understand this, once you realize how incredible that is, all that God has done for you, it only seems right to live up to that calling. That's what he says. When he says walk worthy of the vocation, and what he's saying is to walk worthy, it means balanced weight, okay? I'm going to try to describe this. I I was trying to imagine I'm a little teapot, but, but that's not what I was trying to do. So don't think about that song now that you are, okay. You know, so... So, so here's what Jesus Christ did for us. Okay, if, if this is a balance, here's what Jesus Christ did. He came and he died on a cross for our sins. He left his father's throne um, in, in his comfort zone. He left all of that and came to earth and walked on this dirty planet for 33 years so that he could die in our place and give us, get us to heaven. So listen, before you receive Christ, this is kind of like, this is what it looks like. Is that he's done all of this And you really haven't done anything to earn it. You can't. And you really haven't done anything to balance out what he did for you. So when Paul says walk worthy. What he means is you need to balance the weight. Meaning if he's done all of this for you. And you just keep living like you want to. Then you're not doing anything worthy of the calling that you have. Now he's not saying that you need to earn it. Because you can't. He's saying, because you've earned it, you need to live up to it. Yeah, right. And so, in, or, in, in other words, to walk worthy of the vocation means that we look at all that God did for us... ...and we say, you know what, if he did that for me, all that incredible stuff that he did for me... ...and now I'm saved and now I have eternal life and now I get to go to heaven... ...you know what, I want to walk worthy of that. I want to, do, I want to live the kind of life that points to that. And so what he says is, here's, what, here's how you do it, he says... You need to strive for unity. You want to live in a way that walks worthy of God? Then you need to strive for unity in your, in your life with other people. That's how you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, he says. I think one thing that all of us men in here that are married need to admit today is that we married up. Right? All of us. You know, it's very, I mean, I can't think of a time that I've ever looked at a couple and said, wow, how did she get him? No, it's always, how did he get her? Right? I'll do that. I look in the mirror. How did I get her? Is she back there? Okay, she heard that. Okay, good. (laughs) Points. Cha-ching. Okay, just got to drop him in when I can. You know, have you ever met a couple, you met one spouse? And then you meet the other and you're like, I would have never put those two together. You ever do that? Okay, It's okay. You can be honest today if you've ever done that, right? Yeah, You know, you think, okay, she's like, she's a 10. He's like a two and a half. <laughs> In other words, you know, you don't really see him walking worthy of that. Well, you know what's sad is that there are a lot of Christians that live like this. And that God has done everything you could possibly imagine for us. Right. Everything you could possibly dream about. He's given it all to you. And all to me. Can you imagine though? You work, someday with some, you work with somebody and every day you go to work. And after maybe a couple months they find out you're a follower of Jesus. And you say, huh, I would have never put you two together. Right. Because we gladly receive the benefits of salvation. But we don't walk worthy of that calling. You're right. yeah. And here's how we fail so often in the area of unity. Paul says if you want to walk worthy of what Jesus did... He, brought, he brings all together into himself... Jews and Gentiles from every continent, every color, every language, doesn't matter. Jesus brings all together into himself. That's what the gospel does. And you gladly received it, yet you won't turn around and treat other people with the same humility and and desire for unity that Jesus Christ opened the door for you in your life. That's where the disconnection comes from. Is that we gladly receive the unity we have in Christ and the open arms and the grace that he extends to us. But we don't turn around and walk worthy and and give it to somebody else in the same way. Listen, if you want to walk worthy of your calling, then you need to treat people with the same humility and grace and meekness that Jesus Christ shows to you in salvation. That's unity. We have an unbalanced weight and that we're not living up to our calling. Why be unified? Well, because Christ died for it. And because Paul was willing to be in prison for it. And you are called to it. Amen. That's why we should strive for unity. So how does this work? What does it look like? Well, he says in verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness. With long-suffering for bearing one another in love. Here's how we practice unity. He says, lowliness and meekness. Those are the first two words. Lowliness means that you have a humble opinion of yourself. Meekness means that you are gentle. And these words work together so well. And what Paul is saying is, okay, we know we want to live worthy of the calling. How do we do it? Well, we need to be meek and we need to be lowly. And in essence, what Paul is saying is this. It's possible to be happy and content when you don't get your way. You know, it's possible, you know, this is what every, every one of us who've raised children, this is what we have to teach them, you know, how to respond when you don't get your way. Because when you don't get your way as a child, you throw a fit, and you yell, and you scream, and yet some of us, if we do that still, this is how we're living. And what Paul says, if you want to walk worthy of a vocation wherewith you're called, you're going to have to learn how to respond when you don't get things done your way. Listen, if we're humble, it means we're okay when things don't happen like we like them to. And if we're meek, it means we respond with grace and kindness no matter the situation. He's talking about humble gentleness here. And when something happens that you don't like, listen, if it's not a scriptural issue, if it's not a biblical issue, lowliness means that you are willing to accept it without expressing your unhappiness. That's where the disconnect is sometimes. I'm not saying that you're going to like everything. I mean, not, nobody likes everything. Nobody agrees with everything. But the maturity that comes in Christ, it says that, okay, if this is not a scriptural issue or a matter of doctrine or a matter of purity, then I'm okay with not expressing my opinion right now. I don't have to say what I want to say. Listen, is that easy? No. But is it possible? That's what Paul's saying. See, will things happen that test you? Absolutely. But if you want to help this church be the New Testament gospel-displaying church that it's supposed to be, then you have to be willing to be lowly and meek. What else does he say? Well, he says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Long-suffering, one person described it like this. It's the spirit that has the power to take revenge, yet does not. It means to have a forgiving and generous heart. It means to cover up offenses forbearing one another in love means to suffer or endure here's what paul is saying okay this is not easy I, I get it what paul is saying though is if you are willing that you are willing to forgive and even suffer for the sake of unity this is difficult but we're called to it sometimes listen sometimes you have to eat it is that fun Well, if we're talking about pizza ranch, yes. But when we're talking about interpersonal relationships and you have to just eat it, it's never fun. But if we're going to walk worthy, sometimes it's what we have to do. We're so quick to demand our rights. We're so quick to be fair and seek fairness. But a gospel-minded church member has to be willing to take the high road. Because wrongs are inevitable and families have flaws and things happen and you may not get the the recognition that you deserve. Someone may say something rude. Their kids may not treat yours kindly because that's what kids do, by the way. Don't Don't get your feathers ruffled too much when kids don't do right. That's what they do. Wrong attitudes happen, wrong actions, wrong words. And listen, you don't have to right every wrong. In fact, a God pleasing mindset is willing to accept a wrong for the sake of something bigger. So that's the whole point. Before you think it's unfair, Jesus Christ did his very thing. He could have taken revenge, but he went to a cross. He could have refused to suffer, but he obeyed his Father. Why? Because there was a higher purpose. And if our Savior, the Son of God, was willing to humble himself, who are we to think that we're above that? Amen. Listen, this is the essence of unity. And notice the last word in verse 2. He says, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering for bearing one another in love. A unified church is a church that chooses love. Love covers all of these things. And listen, if you will love in a biblical way, then you can treat people and respond to people in a way that makes unity possible. But you have to choose to love like Christ. Listen, this is a choice. It's a hard choice, but it's the right choice. Look at verse three as we wrap this up. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Understand this, unity won't happen without a fight. And that's a play on words, on purpose. Unity doesn't happen without a fight. You see, there will always, and this, this is what I want you to get today, there will always be something we can fight over. But unity is something worth fighting for. There will always be something worth fighting over. I mean, something we're fighting over, I should say. But unity is something worth fighting for. That's what Paul means when he says endeavoring to keep. It means we have to put in deliberate effort to preserve unity. The unity is already there. Listen, he doesn't say you need to earn unity. No, the unity is already there in Christ. He brought us together in salvation. The unity is there. He says you've got to endeavor to keep the unity. Meaning that you have to work and fight to preserve what you have. The unity is there, and the only reason that a church is not unified is because they haven't put in the effort to keep it. And what he's saying is, unless you fight for it, you don't get to have it. Unless you're willing to fight for unity, then you don't get to keep it. Listen, Eastside Baptist Church won't be brought down by the outside. The gates of hell, Jesus said in Matthew 16, it's not the gates of hell that we have to be worried about. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And if you read about persecution in the New Testament and even in church history, persecution tends to increase the discipleship among church members and it tends to it it tends to uh, multiply the work of God persecution a lot of times we think well we live in a country where persecution is coming and we better be ready and yes we've got to be ready for that but before persecution ever comes if a church is going to be taken down it will be taken down from the inside and how's that going to happen well if we refuse to let go of our opinions And if we can't let a comment go without responding. And if we speak to each other in a negative or rude way. And if we talk about others negatively when they're not around. Or if we won't allow leadership to make the decisions that our leadership is supposed to make. Or if we get upset that we don't get the recognition or if our opinions aren't received. Listen, every choice that you make either contributes to or erodes the spirit of unity at Eastside Baptist Church. Every word either helps or hurts the unity. And what Paul is saying is in the same way that he's a prisoner. Listen, in the same way that he's a prisoner of his belief in the gospel, then we must place our rights and our freedoms in bonds. And be bound by peace if we want to enjoy unity. That's how you endeavor to keep the spirit of unity In the bond of peace. That you decide. Yes I have my rights. And yes I have opinions. And yes I think that my rights and my opinions are important. And I think they're right. I think they're good. I think they're valid. But for the sake of something bigger. I'm willing to bind myself to peace. So that we can continue to enjoy. A spirit of unity. Listen I, I know this is not fun. And I know this isn't like the flashy motivational message that we maybe came to hear this morning. But without these kinds of messages, our church is likely to be taken down from the inside. We must, and, and I'm thankful that I can stand up here today and preach this out of, in a preventative way. Not intervening in some way. I'm thankful that we have a spirit of unity. I'm thankful that we have a church full of people that see the bigger picture and they're striving for that. But I'm telling you, it takes this that long for us to turn the other direction if we're not careful. My question is today, then how much do you desire Eastside to be a church that contributes to God's glory? On a scale of 1 to 10, I would say 10. I really want Eastside to be a church that contributes to God's glory. How badly do you want this church to fulfill God's purposes? On a scale of 1 to 10, 10. I want our purposes, I want God's purposes for us to be fulfilled. How strongly do you believe that we should display the difference that the gospel can make in a person's life? Well, a 10. Duh. Easy. Okay, well, I think most of us feel passionate about that. But here's the real question. How willing are you to forgive when you're wronged? Because we all want the big stuff. What we don't realize, though, is very often the big stuff is, 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 is canceled. Because we aren't willing to live it in the little stuff. So how willing are you to forgive when you're wronged? And How willing are you to keep quiet when you disagree? How willing are you to respond humbly when you could say what you're thinking? Listen, our purpose as a church is not accomplished when we reach a certain number. It's it's accomplished when we're willing to place ourselves in the bonds of peace so that we can enjoy and preserve a spirit of unity. How are you doing at that? With your speech? The words that you're saying to others or about others? With your spirit toward the people that you serve with? with your attitude towards someone that you may not get along with, with your spirit toward leadership or decisions being made. Listen, we must place ourselves in bonds if we want to preserve unity. Here's how. Every member must choose to move past the things we could be fighting over and instead focus on the things worth fighting for. I'm say it again. Every member must choose to move past the things we could be fighting over and instead focus on the things worth fighting for. What we're fighting for matters more than what we fight over. Remember, every member has a responsibility to fight for unity and our choice, your choice to do that determines whether or not we fulfill our ultimate purpose as of God's glory as a church. You have a hand in that. To the non-members, if you're not a member, you could become one and help strengthen that culture in this church. Just understand that you, if you are a member, if you join, then you have a responsibility to that unity. It's part of your calling as well. But to the unsaved, if you're not saved this morning, it's time to decide to place your faith in Jesus Christ here's why because you say I want unity I want this relationship with others I want that camaraderie I want that fellowship you cannot have it if you're not in Jesus Christ and and I want to encourage you today listen Jesus blood is enough to pay for all your sins he died on a cross for you and you say I want that relationship I want unity I want to be a part of something like that then your first step is to place your faith in Jesus Christ And make the choice today to come to the end of yourself and look to him and him alone and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve hell forever. But Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I place my faith in you and you alone. That's what you must do today. Listen, I think that every person in this room, if you're a member, clearly you have a responsibility to focus on the things we're fighting for rather than the things we can fight over. I think that's an application every one of us could respond to. To the non-members today, you say, well, I want to be part of something like that. Well, there's no reason you can't be if you want to be. You could simply come. We could talk about you becoming a part of Eastside Baptist Church. We're starting a new members class in the next couple of weeks. And if you want to be a part of that, we'd love to have you be a part of that so you can learn more about what it means to be a member. But understand, if you join Eastside Baptist Church, then you are you're basically saying, I agree to live this way. I will, re- I will walk worthy of the vocation. And to the unsaved today, your, your response is this. Will you place your faith in Jesus? Will you trust him and him alone, his payment for your sin to take you to heaven? Or are you going to try to keep doing it on your own, which you can't? His blood is enough. Listen, I think that every person in this room, I know this is not the flashy message, but this is the meat kind of message that a church needs if it's gonna remain strong. And if you want to contribute to the culture of unity in a local church like Eastside Baptist Church, then let's do business with God this morning. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, help us, Lord, to prioritize unity. It's so easy to get caught up in the things that aren't worth fighting over and we lose sight of the things worth fighting for. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to be a church that not only models unity because it's easier, but it models unity because that's how the gospel of Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. And I thank you for allowing us to be a church that enjoys unity. But I pray that you'd help us, Lord, even today, maybe to come and say, Lord, help me not be the one that starts to erode the foundation of unity that we get to enjoy. Lord, if there's anyone here today that isn't saved, I pray that you'd help them to be willing to step out and take Take that step of faith this morning and place their faith in Jesus Christ. If there's a member here who, who needs to make some things right about their attitude or their spirit uh, toward the erosion of unity. Help us to do that as well. And then for the rest of us, Lord, help us just to commit to not be part of the problem. Help us to be part of the solution. Lord, our church must be unified if we're going to do great things for you. And I pray that you'd help us today to make some decisions and take some steps that contribute to that glory that we know you want us to be a part of, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.